Hi, and welcome to Space for Change, a podcast brought to you by the RMIT Social Innovation Hub. I'm Venetia, the Engagement Manager here at the Hub. So the COVID-19 pandemic and the social distancing measures put in place here in Australia and in many places across the globe to stop its spread has not only highlighted the digital divide that exists in many countries, but in many instances exacerbated it. With school children forced to learn from home and many of us forced to work remotely, we have been required to be more digitally connected than ever. However, of course, not everyone has the access, ability or affordability to use online technologies effectively. It raises many critical questions, including how do we bring those individuals and communities who are digitally excluded online? And how do we prevent the digital divide from becoming even greater now and in a post-COVID world? Today, we'll be discussing these all important questions with a panel of digital inclusion experts, Professor Julian Thomas, Director, ARC Center for Excellence at RMIT, Lucy Torines, Capgemini's Global Head of Digital Inclusion, and David Spriggs, CEO of InfoExchange. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, so we'll get into it. I've recently read in last year's Australian Digital Inclusion Index that more than 800,000 Australians are without an email address, about 1.3 million households are not connected to the internet, and one in 10 don't have a smartphone. I'll start with you, Julian, with a broad question. What are some of the social and economic impacts of being digitally excluded? Thanks, Venetia. The, the, the social and economic impacts of being digitally excluded are, are extensive and becoming more so. And I think what the pandemics illustrated in, in Australia and globally is just how essential uh, the, the internet has become for um, not for, for Australians and for everybody um, for, in, in all sorts of domains of life. So, of course, as we've seen the the move to, to homeschooling around the world. Families and kids are dependent on, on good connections to the internet and they're dependent on, the, on, on having the right devices as well to, to be able to do their schoolwork. As, as medical and health services have, have moved online, we've seen a big shift to, to telehealth in, in Australia and elsewhere. Of course, that also depends on people being connected. So, I think what we're seeing is is something which is is quite extraordinary. Those of us who are connected are using it more and more, and we we depend on being online for more and more aspects of of our of our working and our social lives, and also, of course, for entertainment and culture. But the the costs of not being connected have actually increased substantially. If, if you think about 10 or 20 years ago, if you didn't have an email address at that point, or if you only used the internet occasionally, the consequences for you in terms of work or other opportunities were probably fairly minimal, but they're now really considerable. So we're seeing that situation. We often talk about the, the digital divide narrowing but deepening, and, and that's what's going on. And and as you said, it's it's absolutely intensified uh, and accelerated in in the last few months, which makes it all the more pressing an issue for us to deal with. Mm. 
Lucy and David, I'd love to hear your perspective on, do you have any examples of, you know, the kinds of ways that the digital divide has been exacerbated during the pandemic and which groups you've noticed have been the most impacted or disadvantaged? Yeah, uh, sure. So what we noticed, of course, I think the homeworking was hitting everybody around the world because, and specifically in some of the of the countries, uh, we were working a lot with India and we noticed that, uh, of course, uh, most of the, even the digital centers we were having were like closed uh, right away. So uh, no one could access. And that's uh, really disturbing because, uh, you know, even in India, if you need to pay an electricity bill uh, to access to some of the public services, you'll have to go online. But actually here, the um, uh, the divide was really clear. So, and uh, I think homeworking and, uh, but also access to education uh, was one of the big topics because when you have the kids uh, locked down with you, but uh, you don't have any access to, to information, to education, and then to access to your public services, then you feel even more isolated. And I think everybody was uh, scared during the pandemic with uh, this isolation, but uh, so, and when you have at the house and you don't have even uh, the possibility to access and to even to communicate, actually, we had like uh, many of our, even our colleagues, which actually are not in the, in the population and the target of population of people being uh, offline or digitally excluded were feeling like uh, very isolated. So uh, we noticed uh, with the NGO that, of course, the people uh, be below the poverty line were really isolated. Uh, people already uh, excluded at school were even more. Uh, I think in France it was uh, uh, around 10% of the kids actually uh, that were already from disadvantaged areas, like were giving no sign uh, during during the classes online in France. So, I mean, I think it was huge touching a lot of population and different population, of course, seniors, even uh, the one in like retreat house, uh, feeling really, uh, really isolated and, uh, and of course, widening the, the inequalities. And from, a, from an Australian perspective, what, what we've seen, I mean, I think the core issues of digital inclusion have been understood for quite some time by those of us in the sector, but the real change in the pandemic was digital inclusion becoming mainstream and it being talked about, you know, on the nightly news and our politicians talking about it. Um, and really exacerbated in those groups we've been talking around, around school-aged children and, you know, low-income families, elderly people, um, and a bit of a change in the traditionally some of the support structures and the support networks that would be available was things like libraries, neighbourhood houses, community organisations, community support groups. And, you know, so many of those organisations got closed down during the pandemic and during lockdown. And so some of those traditional support facilities that would have been there available to assist people were also closed, which just further, further exacerbated the situation. I think, though, on the on the flip side, you've, we've seen some positives of what can actually be done to address digital inclusion. And here in Victoria, we had the education minister come out and say that there would be no child in Victoria without a uh, without a device and without an internet connection. And the Victorian government swung into action, I think provided over 60,000 devices, over 20,000 data links. Now, there's still there's still more to be done, but you know, there's an example where we can actually make progress. And it's, it's a shame it took a pandemic for it to happen. <laughs> 
exactly. but you know that's an example. These are some of the things that can happen, and we can now build on these solutions to address those long-standing issues of, of digital inclusion. Yeah. And I think you're right, David. That's the first time I think we got really an interest for digital inclusion, and people understood uh, what it feels to be digitally excluded. And when I think we were fighting to. Uh, to do some awareness around this topic and now like everybody realized so in a way it has it had a positive effect i think mm. so, yeah. this kind of brings me to my next question what was you know having worked in this space far before the pandemic um how wide was the digital divide in the first place you know before the virus forced us to work and learn remotely what what have been all of your experiences working in this space so Julian will be able to talk certainly from the perspective yep. of the Australian Digital Inclusion Index. But from our perspective, I think it's it's really recognising that it's not a one size fits all. And so often there's a perception that digital inclusion is just about elderly people, for example. Whereas in our work, you know, we spend a lot of time focusing in, you know, low income communities, in working with young people who, um, you know, you may assume have a high level of digital literacy because they're all working around with smartphones. But when it comes to actually having the digital skills that they might need in the workplace or the digital mindset to, to apply for, for a job, you know, they don't necessarily have those those skills. So it's, it's very broad based. I think we say there's, you know, over two and a half million Australians still not online, but a much bigger number um, that don't necessarily have the, the skills and confidence to, to fully participate. Well, that's that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, the research that we've been doing um, here in Australia over the last few years, trying to trying to measure uh, this problem, trying to sort of understand what the what the distribution of digital inclusion is across a country like Australia in ways which which um, certainly sort of connect to research internationally uh, really it underlines the points David's making. It, it, it's, a, it's a diverse group of people who are not really able to participate in the online economy or in online activities um, in Australia at the moment. It's a substantial group, as he said, two and a half million people um, who who aren't online at all. But what, of course, we've also found is that the digital divide's reasonably complicated. It also relates to um, gaps in, in skills and capacities and confidence, what people can actually do online. And um, so, for example, there's a substantial number of people in Australia and elsewhere who access the internet only through a mobile device. So also, so they're connected, but they're only connect, connected with a smartphone. Smartphones are great for lots of things, but they're not necessarily great for schoolwork, for study, for engaging with um, health and government services online or any of all of those kinds of things. Some of the sorts of things that people might might have been able to go to a library to, to use a, a workstation or a laptop to do, but no longer can. So the digital divide is quite complex. It, 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 it's it's not just are you connected or not. There's there's a lot more to it than that, but there's a very very substantial gap in Australia. And of course, the problem is that while that is entrenched, uh, services of all kinds are moving online faster than ever. 
So there's an expectation on the part of critical service providers in health and education and elsewhere. We've been talking about this, but there's a basic expectation that people will be connected and have the skills. Mm -hmm. But but so, so that's the sort of gap that we're really trying to draw attention to at the moment and which I think has been starkly exposed uh, in, in, in recent months, as we're saying. Have you seen any recent examples of, you know, innovative initiatives that have worked to close the gap um, of digital inclusion and exclusion, you know, during, whether that's during the pandemic or even previously? Um, I think for us, so I think as uh, Gillian was saying, you need to attack the, the problem with a different angle. And uh, we were trying to have a global solution and some of the, actually our NGO partners are really innovative in how to approach. So during the pandemic, of course, they had to organize to distribute some of the laptop and mobile and some of them were equipped to do so and they were used to it. Uh, some of them had like to, to um, do a collection of laptops during the, the pandemic and try to find them. But obviously what was an issue on our side is that uh, even though we were like um, uh, willing to give some, some laptops, we were also in like, uh, we had no stock anymore because everybody was uh, going uh, to, to do some homeworking. So, I mean, um, and, but uh, what I like is that, of course, all the innovative solution uh, were also accessible. You have some good training in basic digital skills, but, but you still need someone to help you. But I think what we saw during the pandemic it was, is also an amazing like solidarity movement um even among like the the capgemini employees but actually uh everybody like was trying to do something even though like you're helping someone close to you your neighbors um so yeah i think the innovation i think was also this solidarity movement in some of the countries that were not used to it and to, to build on that, I think that, yeah, similar solidarity movement here in Australia, and I always think whether it's before the pandemic or during the pandemic, the most innovative responses really come out at that community level. Um, and so a couple of the examples, you know, we've seen there's a, there's a Wangaratta digital hub, which is a place in regional Victoria, normally operates from a library and helps people with, uh, with their digital inclusion issues and helps them connect and build skills. Now, they couldn't do that because the library was closed. So what did they do? They, they pivoted to, to provide a one-on-one -on -one service and actually went to visit people when that was allowed in, in regional Victoria to help people and to help the most vulnerable that they could see, you know, that were really lonely, that were really missing out and one of the lovely stories I heard from from that group was uh, an elderly lady um, it was coming up to Mother's Day and she really wanted to be able to see her family for Mother's Day and so they went to visit her and they got her set up with a device and they got her set up with an internet connection and she was actually able to connect with her family on Mother's Day and I thought you know what a, what a beautiful thing um, you know we can talk about all this large-scale work going on but you know the beautiful practical community mm -hmm. examples where people would just kind of spring into spring into action um, that, that was one. We've seen similar in, in public housing estates here in inner city Melbourne, which have been badly affected. And again, kind of community groups and support workers and volunteers have just sprung into action. And even if government hasn't been able to provide devices quickly enough, the community groups are sourcing funds locally, buying devices for, for kids that need devices at schools. And that, that wonderful community response, even one of our programs at, at Info Exchange Digital Springboard, 
is um, normally delivered face to face. It's a digital skills program. Um, and that kind of makes sense that you deliver digital skills to people with low digital literacy on a face to face basis. Um, it's been incredible to see the partners pivot that program and they're now actually delivering it online. Um, and they're delivering it to people who are looking for work and looking for new employment opportunities who have lost work as a result of COVID-19. So they're people who have a basic level of digital skill that they can get online and participate in a, in a session. Um, but then they're then teaching them the skills on how to build a CV for a digital context and how to apply for, for jobs online. So so lots of examples, but yeah, I just, I love the, the really grounded community examples, I think is where we see the best innovation. That's great. Thanks, David. How about you, Julian? Well, I was just thinking about what David was saying, and I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it, it, before we had um, the pandemic in Australia, of course, um, you know, we had terrible bushfires. And um, I was thinking about how they, you know, took out a lot of communications um, capability in um, small towns um, right across um Eastern and Southern Australia, of course, and one of the things they they that they took out in a lot of places was um, the internet, um, and so we all saw all sorts of um, you know fantastic um, community driven um, initiatives in response to that to, to to that problem where people would set up local Wi-Fi networks and find. Um, you know, interim provisional power supplies and all of these kinds of things in order to enable communities to continue to function um, while people were sheltering from the fires. Now, I think if we think about what's happened in the pandemic, we've seen some of that, but we probably haven't seen quite the same energy in terms of responding to, to people's actual needs. Some of this goes a bit beyond what communities can actually do themselves. Um, one of the main barriers to digital inclusion for lots of people in Australia and elsewhere relates to the affordability of, of internet services. Um, they're actually expensive and they're a very significant proportion of the total household expenditure for low-income families. So it's a very significant thing. Uh, and and there, are, there are many people who don't have access to the internet or don't have access to enough data because uh, plans are expensive. So one of the things we saw, we've seen in the pandemic, and we saw this in the bushfires as well, were internet service providers uh, reducing the costs or reducing data caps or doing these kinds of things, both for, you know, small businesses and enterprises and community associations and for individuals. And I think that was important, but it actually underlines the point that, that cost is a problem, not just in Australia, but around the world. And it, I think it underlines the point that we, we you know, we need to do something about that. Uh, and and, and that's something that uh, industry and government, I think, need to work on um, alongside the community sector uh, in order to, to, to make some progress on some of those issues. Mm. That actually brings me um, to my next question. I mean, I'd also love to hear, um, Lucy and David, your perspective on, you know, what are, if you had to choose, you know, a few key ways you could address this issue, um, of digital inclusion, exclusion rather, what would you, what would you say? Mm, I think 
Julian gave the first solution, the cost and the research we did also on the cost, uh, it's, it's showing that even the young people actually cannot access because of the cost. And for us, that was surprising because, the, uh, of course, when we think about digitally excluded population, you think about elderly, but you're thinking young population are on their mobile every day. But actually, when we think about digital exclusion, it's not only navigating on your browser or going on the social media on the mobile, but is it, uh, are you really able to use the internet for all the, the needs you have? And uh, so actually, uh, we try to give, I think, uh, we're defining with the partners different level of exclusion. You have those who cannot even turn on a computer or access to, to anything. And uh, so we need to address the accessibility with what Julian was saying. We need to work with government because the cost is huge. And if you cannot afford it, we have example in India where the, the family cannot access. And there is an interesting actually government initiative in India where they try to make the people digitally literate in having at least in one family, one person digitally literate, which is uh, quite interesting because the impact on the family uh, is great. So, I mean, there are also some very good in innovation and commitment from some of the government to realize that uh, there is uh, a clear need and an urgency to have the people online. Then um, our second, I would say mission is to make the people like uh, to train them as David was saying basic basic digital uh, skills are the key uh, then to be able to like and uh, to be able to yeah to do everything you need on internet access your right and it's uh, what is difficult is that you get into uh, uh, a level higher in complexity so uh, you need to train more and more the people and then also, I think the, the question of the community accessing to the good ecosystem and to access, yeah, I think so, accessibility-based digital skills. And then, of course, all the maybe social support the people will need because that there is a question on digital, but uh, you have the social exclusion. So I would say uh, different fights, treasures, different problems. Absolutely. And I would agree with, with all Lucy and, and Julian have just said, again, I guess just continuing to build on it, it's it's being driven by the needs of community and kind of seeing the vital role that community organisations play in making these programs successful. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's building, to me, it's building on the, some of the momentum that's been established during the pandemic. So we were talking before about some of the state government responses here in Australia to provide devices and internet connection for school-aged children. Our national broadband network launched a $150 million fund to make the NBN available and affordable for low-income families. You know, unfortunately, that's a time-limited scheme at the moment. You know, these are the sorts of things where we should be picking up on the momentum and saying, these are programs that are actually working now and we can actually do them at scale. So let's not cut them off in September or let's not cut them off early next year. Mm -hmm. Let's continue these programs for the long term to address some of those issues like affordability, um, which I think we've proven aren't as difficult to address as we might have thought they once were if we get the right sort of support behind it. Mm -hmm. um, the other critical area for me, I guess, is, is around collaboration and it's collaboration between those community organisations on the ground, between industry and, and the, uh, the corporate community who can bring a lot to, uh, to solving these problems at scale and then clearly being supported by, uh, by government 
and you know government has a key role to play from a funding perspective to uh, to keep some of these programs running and to sustain them um, and also I think a, a leadership role for, for government so and we're part of a group called the Australian Digital Inclusion Alliance which is a group of government and corporate community organizations academics and universities and it's one of the things that we've been calling on the government is to to establish a national digital inclusion roadmap coming out of the pandemic and it's not to say that government needs to take responsibility for solving all of these problems it should be a it should be a collaborative effort um, but government can certainly take a, a leadership role there yeah i mean how often how important would you say collaboration is between all of these various players um you know to come up with a solution or to close this gap from, from our perspective it's it's critical i mean it's, it's probably the most the most critical thing mm -hmm. um because you know each of those different um Parts of the sector brings different skills and capabilities and um, you know funding to, to address the, the issues mm -hmm. and also I think if you don't have the collaboration you risk significant overlap of activities where you'll have multiple different levels of government yeah. trying to assist the same community <laughs> you'll have community groups falling over themselves you'll have well-minded and well-intended yeah. corporates trying to address issues yeah. but if it's not coordinated um, you know there's a lot of wasted effort there and there's certainly right now you know a lot of work to do in the digital inclusion space so the last thing we want is people replicating efforts when there's so much for all of us to do <laughs> there's lots of nodding which <laughs> lots of agreements here well yeah i mean i think what david's saying is is exactly right collaborations critically important but what it has to do is also generate coordination and and, and genuinely shared shared efforts and i mean i i think looking across at what we're doing in in Australia now and, and in many other jurisdictions there's a lot of you know fabulous things being done but but it but there is a bit of a risk that you know we can get a bit of fragmentation and and you know in some some areas things that you know look a bit more symbolic than anything else um you know rather than what would be a coordinated approach to the problem and I think that's where the um, the, the Digital Inclusion Alliance, which David mentions, important in this country that, you know, we can, you know, make the case to, to government that, you know, they have a, at least a leadership and coordinating role. We need to sort of see what the pathway is and then everybody can, you know, play their own role. Uh, but, but some sort of guidance is going to be helpful. Mm. I mean, in terms of sort of scaling up solutions, um, you know, there's a lot of examples nowadays happening in the community about um, addressing the digital divide at a micro level. How would you say, um, you know, what would be ways to scale up um, some of these solutions? I think it's uh, all about recognising that there are a range of solutions. There are a, a cluster of different challenges and problems mm. that we we are bringing together under the umbrella of, of digital exclusion or the digital divide. We've talked about a few of them, but you know there are clearly issues around um, access to infrastructure and the right sorts of devices. We've talked about how how you know in 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 that area. You know, governments are actually well placed to do things like provide uh, the the right sort of IT equipment to to students across a school system. Mm. 
they can do that at scale, uh, which which and and they can do that very well. They can coordinate the rollout of internet and communications infrastructure uh, to make sure that remote or regional communities are, are better better served there. That's they're all scaled up solutions which government is critical for. In terms of you know building skills and capacity and capability, organisations like David's have played a, a, a critical role. And that can be scaled up, as he said, with the help and support of the corporate sector or industry and 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 with the right level of funding, it, it's it's very possible to do that. Uh, recognising that different groups require different approaches and different sorts of solutions. The, the affordability question we've mentioned, that's another problem mm. again. That also requires a different sort of approach. Again, probably working across government and industry and uh, industry at all levels, the, 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 the networks, the wholesalers, the retailers, uh, just to make sure that um, those most vulnerable groups, the, the lowest um, income groups, are not being asked to pay too much for, for basic mm. access to essential services. Mm. Yeah, and I was thinking to add on uh, what Julian said, uh, and I was uh, thinking about uh, would it be good to have this uh, Australian National you know, Digital Inclusion Alliance at the global level? And, and I'm thinking, of course, we should. Uh, could be uh, <laughs> challenging for sure, but at the same time, I think to raise the awareness and to to commit the the biggest private organization and and to to make a good push on the government, I think could be useful. Uh, what we try to do on uh, on our side uh, in Capgemini is also to identify the best uh, practices we have in some of the countries because. The challenges are the same, but uh, the responses sometimes are also like, as you were saying, Julian, we need to adjust also to the communities, the population and everything. But uh, we saw some some of the good solution and uh, what is good is that what's online. So I would say to address at least the basic digital skills, we could have like a global plat platform to address the, the, uh, the, the same issue globally. The only thing is to identify the good one and and uh, and I think global enough to address everybody. Then of course uh, we need to have some very local action uh, with the NGO like uh, present on the field uh, to give the the best response. But I think you're right. If we give the the good uh, resources to some of the very good uh, partners already addressing the the digital divide, actually for years on the field because. The, um, we are waking up, I think, in some of the countries' uh, ecosystem now, but I think some of us like already ad addressed the problem with experience. So, yeah, uh, finding the, the best partners, solid partners, to be able to scale and then scale it up like uh, now. <laughs> and I think uh, that, that will be our action to take out of this call, Lucy, the establishment yeah. of a global digital yeah. inclusion alliance to, to learn yes. from each other. <laughs> and, I, and I think completely, completely agree with what you said. And, and, and Julian, I think the, the caveat I'd also put just on the scaling up, though, is that um, sometimes people can then mi misinterpret what's required to scale up. And so, you know, government, for example, may look at this and go, great, we could scale up this response that the National Broadband Network has given us 
through COVID and have an ongoing plan for affordability. And then the digital inclusion issue is solved. Whereas <laughs> clearly we know, as, as, Julian, as Julian and Lisa have just said, it's, it's a lot more complex than that. It's across the whole, you know, across different community members, there's different challenges. And I think as well, just to acknowledge that the issue of digital inclusion evolves over time. So when Info Exchange started in this space, it was about providing PCs into community. And then it moves into internet connectivity and digital skills and digital skills for work. There's now a lot of work going on around, you know, the media side of digital literacy and people talking about fake news. So I think absolutely scaling up these these initiatives, but acknowledging that it's it's not just going to be a, a single initiative um, and, and that some of the challenges will certainly change over time. And constantly adapting. Yeah. Thank you all so much. I feel like that's a very inspiring note to end on, and I'm excited to hear about your global alliance that I'm sure you'll start as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> no, but really, thank Let's you sign so now. much. <laughs> I'll send you the MOU. Um, thanks so much for such an insightful conversation about such an important issue. As you said, you know, it's not just an issue from the pandemic. It's been an issue for a long time, and it will keep evolving, and we all have to stay awake to it. So um, thank you so much for all of your work on on this. And, you know, we're really inspired to collaborate with you here at the RMIT Social Innovation Hub. So hopefully, Julian, David, Lucy, we can stay connected and, yeah, work together towards this and, and closing this gap. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.